this morning I want to, uh, as I said, talk about the diving into the deep end. This call to be holy is really part of that. And it's out of Leviticus, which is not something, uh, a book of the Bible that many of us typically read. We might start in Genesis um, and we get to Exodus, you know, Genesis creation story or following Abraham and Sarah and uh, Jacob, Isaac, all those guys, Joseph, it's pretty exciting. And then, of course, Exodus, Moses is coming and he's beating up the Egyptians with all the plagues or God's doing that. It's, it's all really exciting. And then they leave Egypt and they're out in the wilderness. And then we start to kind of maybe lose some interest because now they're talking about the dimensions of the tabernacle. I mean, that's pretty exciting, isn't it? The gomers and the uh, gophers and the terms of measurement and how big is this and how long is that and what material we're using for that. And we're like, is how long is this? And then we go to Leviticus and it's like, what are they talking about? This discharge and that discharge makes you unclean. This is kind of gross. Let's keep moving. Oh, Deuteronomy. Hey, some battles taking place in Joshua and it kind of gets exciting again. Well, I'm actually going to be in Leviticus this morning, just this Sunday. We're going to be using some Old Testament passages. Um, there is a half sheet of paper, and I'm going to enlist Mike Reif, Snyder, and Johnny. If you guys on the back there, we're sitting right beside Steve, is a blue piece of paper. Can you guys grab that and then pass it out to people sitting in the pew? I said this last week, and I told you I'd do it, and I did it. On this blue sheet of paper is some notes from last week, and on the other side are notes that you can take from this week. Next Sunday, there'll be a table in the lobby uh, that will have whatever I'm giving to you there, and then you can um, pick that up as you walk in, or you don't have to pick it up. That's up to you. Uh, but this morning, you're forced to take it uh, because we're passing it out to you, and you'll see, and I'll make reference to that this morning. But I really want us to understand what this idea of sanctification is. I threw that term out last Sunday, and we defined that. We're talking about that. You're going to hear it some more. We're going to be talking about God's holiness as well, and that's on this sheet too. And basically, we're going to be doing some teaching, and I hope some learning of some new things that maybe you hadn't heard before, or maybe it's just been a really long time since, uh, since you've heard these kinds of terms and, and terminology. So that's why I'm putting these half sheets of paper. We're going to have this throughout this sermon series so that you can follow along, take notes as you need it. Thank you, Johnny. Thanks, Mike, uh, for doing that. Uh, for me. Uh, and I'll, as I said, make reference to that throughout the sermon series. But this morning specifically, we're going to be talking about God's holiness. Next Sunday, we'll be talking about how that impacts us. Last Sunday, we had communion together. And one of the things I shared last Sunday and kind of presented with regard to the, the sermon series of diving into the deep end, you saw that image last Sunday. And I said, there's a lot of Christians who just stick their toe in and they never actually go swimming in that deep end, that, that end where God is calling us to be. We're not made and created to be in that shallow end. And then that shallow end means there's some kind of lack of growth. There's something that's not going right if we're just in that shallow end. And I used 
Leah and her goggles as the analogy of what God's calling us to. And really, if we're going to swim, it's going to happen in that deep end. And actually, the girls aren't here today because they're still at the beach. Uh, They spent this past week at the beach, and I met up with them for a couple of days uh, to spend some time with them. And we were in the ocean, and she did have those goggles on, and we were in some deep water where she wouldn't have been if she didn't have those magical goggles, but she did. And again, this is the image that we were talking about with regard to what God's calling us to. And on your blue sheet of paper, the one side, you'll see these two terms and these bullet points underneath them. Now, I did it top and bottom on the slide is side by side. Uh, You can see it on top and bottom, justification, sanctification. We talked about that last week. If you missed that, you can go to our YouTube channel and see that because it is kind of outlining where we're going for the rest of this sermon series. Um, And we did talk about the importance of that term justification. And then we had communion together to kind of solidify that. This bread and this, this juice, this cup that we take to really drive home this grace that we have received in this one-time payment that Jesus paid for our sins on that cross. But God's not finished. That was this one-time act. We're talking about this continuing grace that keeps molding us and shaping us into what? Into something that's been set apart for God's own purpose. That's what that sanctification word is. So that's on one side of the paper. The other side of the paper is what we're talking about today, holiness. And obviously you can see that's blank. I'm not doing all the answers for you. You've got to figure out some of that stuff for yourself. You can use that to take notes, follow along. There are some passages there at the bottom for reference, talking about something we hear a lot about. We always hear about God's holiness. We sing about it all the time. In fact, we call this the Holy Bible. What's that mean, that it's a Holy Bible? We know that the angels are constantly singing this, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. We hear that scripture. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. It's throughout the entirety of the Bible, God's holiness. And the passage I want to bring out to you in Leviticus is really talking about why God is calling us to be holy, and it's because that is who he is by nature. His essence, his character, who he is, is holy. And what does that mean? Well, we're going to talk about that, but the entirety of the book of Leviticus is trying to tell Israel what that means. All those laws that don't make any sense to us, all those laws that we read that say, why does this apply Everything that's in there is trying to help Israel understand the holiness of God and then how they are to approach him. And so there's clean and unclean, pure and impure, moral and immoral. And all that language is utilized in Leviticus. And the reason is because at the end of Exodus, we have the tabernacle, God's presence, God himself, the creator of the universe is going to dwell with Israel And they're going to build this little tent structure where his presence is going to be. And if you remember when Moses went up on the mountain, he couldn't look at God. But when he came down off the mountain, he was like glowing. There was this this glow off of him. And he had to veil himself because of that, because he was in the presence of a holy God. That's what's going on. 
And so how do we approach the presence of this holy God? Because he's going to dwell in this tabernacle and he's going to go wherever we go. He's going to be our God and we're going to be his people. Leviticus in Numbers is talking all about that. And in chapter 11, we hear this the first time. For I'm the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. That's the first we hear it. But we're going to hear it a lot more throughout the Old Testament. And we're going to hear statements about God's holiness and that we're to be holy because he is holy. And in Leviticus chapter 11, it's all about animals, unclean animals, things that they're supposed to eat. Now, something that is very uh, similar to their culture and our culture is we need to eat to stay alive. So, in fact, every culture can identify with the fact that if you don't eat food, you're going to die. So, God is using something very basic in their life to communicate something about himself. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and the things they can eat and can't eat is going to say something about this God that they're supposed to go and worship. That's what the unclean and clean language is all about. Usually in Leviticus and in Numbers, when it's talking about holiness, it's talking about ritual purity, being clean and unclean, or moral purity, doing the right thing. In fact, two priests died because of some things that they were doing at the tabernacle. Two of Aaron's sons. God killed them because of how they approached him. Unholy people approaching this holy God. So God takes that very serious, and so he is communicating this to his people because they are going to show the rest of the world, all these other nations that have all kinds of gods that are very like human beings, God is going to show Israel that he is unlike every human being. He is very other than us. And so he makes this statement in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44 and 45. It's not the first time that he'll make the statement. It's not uh, the last time you'll hear it in the Old Testament because we're going to get it in the New Testament also. And he says this, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy. Now we used that word consecrate before. We said it's interchangeable with sanctify, meaning set apart. Set yourselves apart as you approach me. So if you can remember Mount Sinai, Israel was supposed to consecrate themselves because later that week they were going to meet with the holy God. They had to do things so that they understood when they approached this holy God who it was they were approaching. That's what that consecrate or sanctify yourselves means. And be holy. That's a pretty large request God is making for us. But he's telling us that because he is holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves along a ground. Again, this is connected to things that they are going to eat. To communicate something about his holiness and what clean and unclean is. He continues with, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. So next week, we're going to talk about that. How are we supposed to be holy, God? Because you and you alone are holy. But we're not there yet. We, first, we want to focus on what it means that God is holy. And the way that I want to do that, and my picture is messed up here, that is a quilt. It's a patchwork quilt. 
Does anybody sow in here? Do we have some sowers? We do have some sowers, or at least one. So maybe uh, Sherry can be our seamstress, seamstress here. Actually, we are going to be teaching, if you are in the homeschooling co-op that meets here at Grace Church, we are going to be teaching you how to sew. It's a good skill to have. I got a lot of buttons I can't put back on. I'm going to make the kids do it. They're going to learn how to sew by putting buttons back on my shirt. This is a quilt. And as you can see, there's lots of different patches. All those patches start separately. And the sewing part is taking some thread and putting them all together. And before you know it, you got this big, long blanket we call a quilt. And they cost a lot of money in Amish country in Lancaster County to have one of these quilts. But it's very different patches, as you can see. And then putting them all together is thread. So when we think about God, this is how I want us to think about who God is. So I just listed up here in this next slide a couple of what we call attributes, characteristics of God. Who God is by nature. He is by nature good. We can see the goodness of God all over scripture. We sing about it. We talk about it. We talk about God's justice. This is who God is. He's very just. He shows everybody equality before his moral law. God is righteous and truthful. God shows us mercy, grace, love. Just start thinking some of the stuff we sung about, thinking of how we talk about God, all these different characteristics about God. Think of them as a patchwork quilt. Those are all patches. And what holds these patches together, what creates this wonderful blanket, is thread we call holiness. God's holiness, God's perfection, is sewing all of the other things about God together. And so God is love, and he's completely holy in how he loves. God is merciful, and he's completely uh, holy in how he shows mercy. There is no sin, no blemish, no spot. God is very much unlike us. But whenever God acts... As we read throughout scripture, as we see God doing his continued work in this world, whatever God does and who God is, is held together by his holiness. This one attribute is the one that kind of puts all the other patches together. And so when we read about things that God does in Old Testament, New Testament, he never does it outside of his holiness. He is perfectly holy and pure and righteous when he judges Israel. He doesn't stop being holy when we see God doing that. He doesn't stop being holy when he accepts and embraces the sinner. When we see Jesus doing that, when we see Jesus approaching this person with leprosy, they were unclean. He doesn't stop being holy in the midst of any of that. There is nothing that God does that does not communicate his holiness. So whenever we read scripture, Whenever we hear about who God is, whenever we read or see God doing things, it is woven together, if we think about that patchwork quilt, with that thread of holiness. So we got to remember that as we read throughout Scripture and as we go throughout this sermon series, that this holy God just said to Israel, and we'll read it again in the New Testament next week, this holy God just told us, we are to be holy as well. 
So this is what holiness means or looks like with regard to God's holiness. And again, these are just some definitions taken out of Scripture as we read through from Genesis to Revelation. The material that I'm using is, as I said last week, from Thomas Oden is the author of uh, Systematic Theology. This is in volume one. If you need some extra light reading, there's three volumes. Uh, you can borrow it. But this is how he describes God's holiness, the moral quality that best points to God's incomparably good character. There is no one who is like God. And in fact, if we would approach God, we would be crushed under the weight of our own unholiness and sinfulness. We see it happen in scripture of what takes place when someone approaches God. I just used the example of Moses. One of the other examples that we probably all know is in uh, the temple around Easter. We all talk about this veil that was torn in two. You know, the veil that Jesus, through his death, tore in two. That veil covered the Holy of Holies. That's where in the Old Testament, God's presence dwelt. First in the tabernacle, and then they built this temple. And God's presence, the very God of the universe, his presence, he told Israel, would dwell in this place. But this is how you're supposed to approach this holy God. So they had this veil that separated everybody else from God's presence. And one time a year, they could go into the Holy of Holies, and the high priest would make a sacrifice on the Day of Atonement for their sin. And tradition tells us that that high priest would get a bell tied to his ankle so that when he walked in there, they'd be able to hear, is he still alive? Because he walked into the place of God's holiness. And so they would do things, ritual purity things, uh, some consecration type things prior to that day of atonement. So that as they entered into the Holy of Holies, they recognized they're entering into God's presence. And because God is holy and completely perfect without blemish or limit, they had to approach a particular way. God does not look kindly upon sin. In fact, he has punished sin to the depths of hell. And so no sinner can approach him. And that's why they had the Holy of Holies. And again, this is why it's such an amazing and big deal that that veil was torn through the sacrifice of Jesus. So if you look at that justification side of things, we are declared righteous, holy, because Jesus was declared unrighteous. He took our sin upon himself. Read about uh, that suffering servant in Isaiah 53 to hear what Jesus did for us. The holy God poured out his wrath upon sin on his one and only son. Because he is completely perfect and good. And everything he does is holy. That is what scripture is telling us. And so that weight feels very heavy. If we think about our own sin, I remember this in my own life as me and God were coming to on that collision course. And that weight was so heavy in my own life. I can remember when my dad and I was still living at home at the time. I had just come back from the Navy, and I was still at home. 
and my dad could see it. Like it was visible. There was just something heavy weighing me down. And he asked me about it. And that something that was weighing me down was actually my own sinfulness. It, it felt like this weight because I realized how perfect and holy God is and how sinful and imperfect and unholy I was and I had been. And some of the things I was saying and doing that was a lie to people. And it, was, it felt crushing. And this is why salvation is so uplifting. This is why when we sing about chains being gone, that's what it feels like. And those chains disappear. They're broken. But the first thing that happens is understanding the weight of our own sinfulness. And this aspect of God's character, I think, is starting to get lost on us in the church in the United States of America. There's a lot of compromise that we do and a lot of unholy living that takes place that sometimes we just get this idea that, hey, Jesus is just my buddy and my pal and we just hang out and have a good time together and that's great. And yeah, Jesus embraces us as friends. That's what he tells his disciples that he embraced them as, friend, as friends, but that does not negate the fact that he is perfectly holy and that the God that we still approach is a holy and righteous God who hates sin and judges it to hell because of what it does. I don't have to go through sin and what it does in our lives. You've maybe experienced it. I did. Maybe somebody in your life has experienced it. Just look at the news today. You can see why God hates sin and why God does not allow it in his presence. That's why we need Jesus. We don't come to God outside of Christ because we're coming to a holy and righteous God. This is Old Testament all the way through the New Testament. We'll talk about it next week. I'm driving home this fact because it's kind of lost on us a little bit in the United States. Oh, God doesn't care about that. Oh, God doesn't care about this. Well, nobody knows this about my own life. Nobody sees what I'm doing when I'm not with anyone else. Nobody's around to watch me when I'm looking at things or my thought life. You know, Moses gave the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You know what Jesus says in Matthew 5? Even if you lust after someone. It's as if you've committed adultery. He didn't lower the bar. He raised the bar. Even if you hate your brother, even if you hate your neighbor, it's as if you've murdered them in your heart. Jesus is emphasizing God's holiness. And he's saying, this is what my kingdom is all about. We should recognize how other God is from us. And this is why it is a desperate need of ours to repent of our sin, ask for forgiveness, and embrace the forgiveness that Jesus offers in his sacrifice. And it doesn't stop there. If you look at your sheet, it goes on to 
a progressive continuing work, what the Spirit does in us, an effect of continuing grace. This is sanctification, the setting apart. Just like if you read Leviticus, you're going to read all the amazing, fun details about this little lampstand and where it goes in the temple and this bowl and where you're going to use it for and where that should sit and how big it is and how much water you pour in it. All those fun details. It's all about setting this thing apart for God's purpose. Well, Jesus prayed for us, if you remember last week, to sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That's what he said. Sanctify us. Set us apart. Make us holy like you are holy. That's what God's telling Israel in Leviticus. And when the Old Testament closes, he doesn't say, well, forget that. You guys, there's no way you're going to be holy. Look at you. You're a mess. He actually says the same thing to us in the New Testament as well. That's how great it is that Jesus paid for our sin. This is why good news is such good news. Because God knows, you've probably all done this experiment. I know I've done it with the Good News Club kids or whatever. You take this uh, dropper of uh, uh, food coloring and you get a glass with water in it and you drop one little drop of that red food coloring in that glass. What's going to happen? All the water turns red. It doesn't just stay in that one little spot. And it doesn't matter how big of a glass you get. It might be diluted a little bit. It might not be super dark. But you could take a little small cup, maybe get a bigger one, maybe get this big bowl, drop one little drop of red dye in there, and it goes everywhere. That's what sin is. God sees it, and it affects our whole life. And God hates it because of what it does to us. The fullness of God's moral excellence is intrinsic to who he is. There is nothing that he is or does that is not connected to his holiness. So think of holiness. Think about that patchwork quilt. It's the thread that holds his goodness together, his justice, his righteousness, his love, his mercy, his grace, his compassion his long-suffering, name it, just go on Google and say, what are the attributes of God? And you can read the whole list of these attributes of God. And if you make those lists into a patchwork, the thread that puts it all together is God's holiness. That's the God we stand before. That's the God's whose presence we've come into this morning. That's why I always say we've come before you in the name of Jesus. Because Ted doesn't approach God in his own name. Ted approaches God in Jesus' name because of the righteousness Jesus has given us. The perfection and sinless nature of Jesus and the life he lived, he has now given to us. That is why the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is so important in our lives. Because every day the Spirit is trying to move us closer and closer into the likeness of Jesus. Yes, making us holier and holier. Maybe we haven't thought about that in our Christian walk. When Isaiah the prophet was confronted with the amazing majesty and holiness of God in Isaiah chapter 6, this is what he said. 
He's in the throne room of where God is. And they were there calling to one another. These are the angels in this throne room. You can read about it in John, too, in Revelation. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Over and over again, Isaiah says, over and over again, John says in Revelation, the angels are proclaiming the holiness of God. Isaiah is confronted with that. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah's response to what was taking place as he's in that throne room is to confess his own woefulness. He was confronted with his own sin and says, Woe is me. For I am a sinner, basically. I am ruined, and, and I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty, and he falls on his face. That's exactly what John did. Anytime anyone is confronted with the holiness of God, they fall on their face because they recognize their own unholiness. Now, I'm, I'm driving this home this morning because, as I said, I think this aspect is somewhat lost on us in the American church. There's a lot of stuff that we do that we just, uh, God won't care about that so much. Uh, God won't care about that so much. And before you jump into the mode of, well, I got to do this, 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 and this, the Pharisees thought they were super holy. And Jesus had something to say to them. It's not about the checklist. When you dive into that deep end, You've passed that aspect of the Christian faith. It's not about that. It is about seeking to not hate my brother or sister. Like Jesus said, is it possible? I don't think Jesus would have said it if it wasn't possible. Do we do it perfectly all the time? No, of course not. But I hope your life is reflecting more and more the love of Christ, even for your enemies. What's actually happening there is God is making you holier, setting you apart for his own purposes and plans. We cannot stand in his presence without feeling the utterly profound sense of our own sin, moral inadequacy. That is just something we have to deal with. And we should... Be thankful that God's done something for us because we can't get rid of it ourselves. Again, this is the basics of salvation. Saved from our sins, saved from our own moral inadequacy, and we are given Jesus' righteousness. And that was a one-time event that isn't over. If you've been following Jesus for 10, 20, 30 years, I hope your life looks more like his. And we're going to talk about that in the weeks to come. What does it mean if it doesn't? And how can I get it there? How are we supposed to be holy like this? God is holy. Ted, everything you're saying, I, I can understand. It's not me. So how do I get there? Well, you have to come back next week because that's what we're talking about next week. I can't tell you that today. We're just parking it here, understanding, and again, this is why I brought this up. 
I see in our American church, as I visit places, you know, when I go places, I actually feel a little bad about myself because these people are way holier than me. When I go to Nepal and I listen to the amount of praying and fasting they do, when I go to Liberia, and you know what they do on New Year's? They pray and they fast for the new year. And I come back here and I'm like, you know, it makes me feel guilty. That's not what their intention is. But I can see their desire to be in God's presence. And when you're in God's presence, it does something to you. And when we go to God's presence, we are going to a holy and righteous God. And what we need to do, stop doing in the American church, is compromising so much on unholy, immoral living. The gospel is about changing our behavior, changing our thought patterns, changing the way we speak. This is transformative. This is not just something I check off a box. It actually changes me. And the process of sanctification, yes, I know it's scary, but yes, it's seeking to make you and me holy as God is holy. Set apart for his purposes, able to enter his presence, not on Ted's righteousness, but on Jesus's. And what Jesus does in Ted's life through the power of his spirit is makes him, me, more like Jesus. So Leviticus says, God tells Israel, you are to be holy, for I am holy. And what we'll see next week is it didn't remain in the Old Testament. The holiness of God that is conveyed very clearly in the Old Testament is the same holiness of God that is conveyed in the person of Jesus Christ and is the same expectation that God has. Something ought to be happening to my people, whether it's Israel or the church, and they ought to become more holy. If there's anything our world could use, it's a group of people that try and live moral, upright lives, not in our own power, but in the strength and the power of the Spirit. Holiness is what weaves all of God's attributes together. He is one God, Old Testament, New Testament, and calling us to that same life. Let's pray. Lord, we are confronted as we think about your holiness and how, you know, different stories in Scripture. We read about it. We sing about it, we talk about it, God, but sometimes it just needs to be shared so that it sinks deep into our souls. That you are completely other than us. You are completely perfect in all that you do and all that you are. And we're confronted with our own unholiness and sinfulness this morning. Grateful for that word justification that Jesus paid for all of that upon himself. And now, God, you have called us to be holy as you are holy. Help us, Lord, to be reminded to remember that you are one God, Old Testament, New Testament, 2023, calling us into this life. And as we walk away this morning, being reminded of who you are, Lord God, I pray that next Sunday as we come together to hear about how we are called and can be holy, that your spirit would already be doing that work in our heart and our life. 
I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.